This is Peace Talks Radio, the series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. I'm series producer Paul Ingalls. Early on in our effort to create a nonprofit organization that could support the work of producing this program, we threw a fundraising concert in Albuquerque, and I asked a singer-songwriter I'd admired but never met if she'd be on the bill. Her name, Mary Gaucher. When she heard what we had planned for the Peace Talks radio series, she signed up without hesitation. Mary also joined us for a 10-year anniversary concert and fundraiser. So naturally, we've been keeping track of her career, which has included many critically acclaimed albums and tours. And I can't say I was surprised when I heard of her participation in another nonprofit program that paired songwriters with military veterans and their families, folks who were struggling with processing the trauma of war, soldiers dealing with sometimes severe physical injuries and certainly psychological wounds. The program, called Songwriting with Soldiers, brought the musicians and the vets together on retreats with the goal of writing a song with each to help them express their feelings and and hopefully achieve some degree of healing. Mary's been at it for a while with this program, and in 2018 she decided to release an album's worth of just a fraction of the songs that she's helped to write with veterans like Joe Costello. Mary talked with us from the audio production studios in Nashville, and she told me about Joe and what turned into the title song of her album, Rifles and Rosary Beads. Joe served during uh, the surge in Fallujah. He, w- he went to Iraq at 19 uh, and uh, described to me what he saw. Um, a big part of getting them to open up um, has to do with me explaining a song as a little movie. Right. Uh, and so uh, I uh, encouraged him to give me pictures. And so Joe said, well, what I saw was orange smoke and yellow haze and little kids in the street crying without any adults anywhere around. I saw bombed-out schools and bombed-out homes, and and I saw guys holding on to their weapons with, with a grip so tight that their knuckles were white. I saw other guys, Catholic soldiers, with rosary beads in their hands, and they were rolling them and rolling them and rolling them. And so that imagery right there is a song. Right. Well, I'm kind of a lyrics geek, and I wrote down what you just described, which is how it came out in the song was whistling sunset bombs. I couldn't trust the sky. And I thought about that for a moment, getting a little emotional thinking about it. Yeah. Because I, I know uh, I know when I need to clear my head, I need a moment of peace, I look to the skies out here in New Mexico, and you've seen them out here. They're amazing. Yeah. And it almost never fails to convey peace. But imagine not being able to trust the sky. Yeah, he's told me that. He said I couldn't trust the sky. I don't think a civilian can comprehend fully what it means to be unable to trust the sky. I know, but what just happened to me is what you're shooting for, right? Is for someone to hear that. Yeah, you got you got as close as we can possibly get to the experience <laughs> of 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 a of a so young man just out of Austin, Texas, 19 years old, boots on the ground in Fallujah. The song's a magnificent vehicle for empathy. Rifles and rosary beads You hold on to what you need For I 
Rifles and Rosary Beads is the title track to the 2018 release by Mary, and uh, we're going to talk about this project that produced it. And I want to start by having you give props to the folks who got these songwriting partnerships going between musicians and veterans, because it was underway before you jumped in with both feet. Who was who was doing that? That uh, who was doing what? That got you intrigued with it? Yeah, thanks for asking, Paul. Um, I have been working with a group called Songwriting with Soldiers for over five years. The organization is about five and a half years old. It was founded by the songwriter Darden Smith and his friend Mary Judd. Uh, it's a nonprofit, uh, and what they do is get private donations, grants, uh, funders, uh, and uh, pair up professional songwriters uh, with 
wounded veterans. And we go to a retreat center. Uh, the retreat center uh, is in a very pastoral, gorgeous setting. Uh, we've worked with veterans in uh, upstate New York, in uh, Bluemont, Virginia, outside of D.C., outside in, of, uh, of Austin at a beautiful Catholic retreat center. There's a, a place they're going to now in Arizona. Uh, and it's generally four songwriters and uh, six to ten veterans. Uh, we come in on a Friday night, and we write with them uh, starting on Saturday morning and work all day, all night Saturday and uh, Sunday morning. And by Sunday afternoon, we have oftentimes more than 10, 12 songs that didn't exist on Friday, and they're written in the words of the veterans as we bear witness and turn their stories into song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I hope this doesn't uh, disrespect it at all, but it, it, I think I've heard somebody describe it. It's kind of like speed dating with music at the end, right? That uh, you're, you're, communi- you're, you're, you're communicating, but through music. <laughs> yeah, we go fast because we have to. And I think that um, because the level of songwriters that Darden brings to the program is, 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 is it masters, master songwriters. Um, yeah. When you're listening to someone else's story and you don't have to to uh, bring your personal uh, confusion into the equation, uh, all you're doing is basically um, midwifing their story. And, and so uh, it, it, it is a relatively quick process because um, we're, we're not experienced uh, soldiers. The songwriters are just songwriters. So we listen and write down what they say. We make it rhyme. We find the melody that matches the emotion uh, and it's actually quite possible to write a really good song in 90 minutes. Well, you've proven that. Uh, but I am curious about, you mentioned this confusion factor, and I do want to get into this because part of peacemaking and part of our program is about how you bring disparate uh, people together. And Mary, happily, I've, I've known you personally for nearly 15 years now, and I've known your music for about 20, playing a couple of fundraisers for our Peace Talks radio series. And now, you have a rather staunch anti-war stance in your politics. I mean, I've, I've seen you get a news alert on your phone, and folks, Mary will make an announcement loud enough in a room for people to hear, so you might just get a little protest march going right on the spot there. But is that not right, Mary? I mean, I, have I described you <laughs> accurately there? You got me. Yeah, you got me. I'm, I'm, a, uh, I'm a social justice warrior. I'm a folk singer. Uh, I am a registered Democrat. I uh, have, uh, I think, an obligation to follow in the footprints and, and the lessons of Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger. Uh, and I do that as an artist. And I feel as though these songs actually fit right into that slot. Um, but the thing is, is that the songs are not political. They're stories. What we're doing is giving voice to people who whose stories are probably not being heard in the mainstream media. And by telling the stories, it allows the listener to, to, to experience empathy. Uh, and I think that transcends the ideology of our time, the left and right warring factions. If we can get in and feel the experience of someone who we may not understand politically, I think that empathy can build a bridge and we can have a human conversation Never once ever at any of these retreats, and I've been doing it for over five years now, uh, have we ever gotten into a discussion of politics. It doesn't happen. It's not—I hate to say this because of of 
the times we live in, but it's not it's not going to make a good song to put politics into it. What what has to happen for a good song is is a little movie that gets you into the experience of another person. The listener can then extrapolate their own belief systems uh, and politics around what to do about it. Um, but uh, I completely disagree with the invasion of Iraq. I was against it at the time. I'm against it now. I didn't see the reasoning behind it, and I still don't. That said, yeah, I support the the soldiers uh, and their nobility, uh, especially the soldiers that are struggling with the wounds of war now. Well, and the reason for bringing it up was not to create a conflict here, but because I'm very curious about any uh, transformation that you had to make at the start of this process in yourself to pull all that you just described out of yourself to be able to be ready for these people and to be able to set aside uh, at the door, uh, you know, the political proclivities? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I didn't prepare myself politically, but I had to get over fear. I was afraid to do it because I I think I, I had a lot of stereotypes in my mind as to who our soldiers are, who our warriors are. In my mind, I had this vision of all of our warriors as gun-loving, right-wing, homophobic straight men. Um, I haven't met that guy yet. Uh, in five and five years and change of doing this, um, that stereotype uh, was false. And uh, in retrospect, not only was it false, but I feel like an idiot thinking that way. Uh, and so I've gotten to know so many people that have become like family to me through this program. And so I had to overcome the fear of that stereotype, which was a person that I've never met yet. Uh, so music is a beautiful way to to get into another person's emotional landscape. And so as we sit and make songs from from the veterans' stories, we just there's a love that happens, and it's real, and the connections are very, very strong. Well, Mary Gaucher, when I heard about this work that you were doing, I have to say the first thing I thought of was, well, that makes perfect sense. And, and we talked about this on stage at that last concert you did for us. One of your specialties is recognizing the humanity in people who are struggling in a way that may have little directly to do with your own experience. I mean, you've written songs about the king of the hobos and prisoners' families and thieves counting money in hotel room beds and gatherings of homeless under the bridge at Christmas time. I mean, I think I know how and why, but talk some more about this project being really an extension of what you've always been interested in writing about. That's such a good question, Paul. Thank you. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think those who have suffered understand suffering, thereby extend their hand. That's William Blake. I think that that I always have um, had compassion for the underdog because I have always perceived myself as the underdog. And that's the stories I want to tell. Uh, and that's the stories I'm interested in. And, and really, sort of spiritually, that's the stories I can tell. I, I don't have the capacity to write a whole lot of different uh, stories that I don't understand. I can write from that place. That wounded place is, is um, 
I guess, a constant companion for me. And I'm able to write about it, even though, you know, I've never been on death row or under a bridge on Christmas. It's it's a stone's throw for, for me. I got that. I can write, I can get in there and write that. And I think that's the muse, uh, the gift that I have from the muse is to write those stories. And I don't need to wander too far from there because that's what I'm called to do. And and uh, it, it'll keep me busy till my last breath because <laughs> because of the way that life works. <laughs> well, that's good for all of us. Am I correct in guessing that most of the uh, veterans uh, and people that you're working with do not know your music when they sit down to talk with you for the first time? I think you could probably just go ahead and say none of them have ever, have ever heard of me, which is great. Talk a little bit because, again, uh, Peace Talks Radio, we're kind of about process. And I'm trying to hear something about this process that people can apply to their own lives. So, you know, we're all afraid to sit down with the other. Uh, and so you've described a little bit of the distance between you and the people you're writing songs with. When you sit down together, um, talk a little bit about the process of trying to open yourself up and then to be aware of what they need. You talked about yourself as kind of a channel for them. But can you describe a little bit of the dynamic of that uh, that uh, makes it work? Yeah, it works really beautifully. Um, well, first thing that has to happen, and, and, and this is important, is they need to feel safe. Uh, and so Darden and Mary, the founders of Songwriting with Soldiers, really understand that. And so when we get them to the retreat center, the retreat center itself feels safe. Um, you know, one of the veterans, Josh, told me, I felt safe when I got there because it was up on top of a hill. Mm. I mean, as a civilian, that would never occur to me that being on top of a hill was safe. I mean, it was pretty, but it, I don't think of ambushes. It's in his daily thinking yeah. that, that he, he, he's safer on top of a hill. Um, so the retreat centers have really, really good food, uh, and the rooms are always comfortable, um, and the environment is quiet and peaceful. There's not a lot of noise. There's not a lot of bright lights. There's, uh, there's a lot of things that go into creating safety, especially for people who are struggling with PTSD, uh, and it has to do with the senses. And so I think Darden and Mary put a lot of thought into that. So no loud noises, no bright lights, really good food, comfortable room, um, soft, soft-spoken voices. We don't raise our voice. And there's no uh, uh, pandemonium. Um, it's songwriters, a cook, a couple of people on staff, uh, including a psychiatrist in, in, in case anything gets stirred up, uh, and the veterans. And we get to know each other the first night over dinner. Uh, and then the songwriters play a little concert for them uh, so they can pick the songwriter they feel they resonate with. So the four songwriters get in front of the group, and we play two, three songs each, and they know who they like. They know whose songs speak to them. We read each other in a thousand ways, and they, they pick who they feel comfortable with, and it always works out. So there's already this this thought process that's going into creating safety and comfort. And so the next morning, the veteran and the songwriter go find a quiet room, and I'll sit down, and he'll, he or her will sit down, and I'll say, 
when did you serve? Where did you serve? What was it like? Is there something you really want to write about? Tell me about your husband. Tell me about your wife. Tell me about your kids. How long have you been out? Are you still active duty? And just basic questions. And as they start to talk, I'll write down things that they say in my computer. And at a certain point, uh, it becomes pretty clear what their soul uh, is is either suffering with or longing to say. Um, and um, the, the song starts to take some kind of shape. I'll find a melody. The melody acts like a magnet that helps pull story out. Uh, when somebody's playing you the music that sounds like how you feel and at, at the moment, it pulls the story because you feel as though you're being heard. Uh, and then this thing happens, and, you know, for me, it always kind of happens in a trance. I can't fully remember the process in retrospect. I don't know how it all unfolded, but then there's this baby that was born. Uh, and, uh, you know, all babies are beautiful. The songs are are um, are magnificent, and, and the songwriters stay out of their own experience. We don't impose our experiences into the veterans' words, we just write down what they say and use their language to get to their song. It's their song. Even though we're the writer, it's their story. Right. Well, and if I had to sum up in three words what you just described, uh, and I'm making some notes here myself, I would say it boils down to listening, empathy, and curiosity. Yes. That that you have to bring to that consciously um, and the other thing that you said that resonates so much with me, and I've quoted this from my own therapist, <laughs> uh, you know, on this program before, is, is that uh, active listening is so uh, critical. And you said that they need to know they've been heard. Yes, very important. My, my therapist says in a conversation, you have, when you're listening to somebody, you have to first make it right for them. And what he means by make it right is means that you're reflecting back what he or she said so that they absolutely feel that they've got it. And if, they, if you don't have it, then they have a chance to say, no, that's not exactly right. Here's what it's more like. Absolutely. And I, I, I'm imagining that the digging for, particularly for song lyrics, uh, that process goes back and forth probably a few times before you hear something that you think uh, will work. Absolutely. And... Um... Uh, the process is exactly as you described it. I'll we'll mirror back what I'll say. I think I heard you say this. Is this what you said? And they can correct me in a, in a place that's really safe for them to do it. Because I'm not gonna. I mean, what what what's important is 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 that I tell them I'm a songwriter. I'll find 500 ways to say sunset. You don't have to worry about it. If that's not right, we'll find another way to say it. This is my job. This is what I do. There's no problem. If that's not right, I'll find a way to make it right for you. Um, so they feel comfortable in correcting it. Um, and the other part that, that uh, is important is to play, play it for them and then ask them if it's right line by line. If there's one single word that's not right, it's not right. And to make them know uh, without a doubt that we can fix it.
It's fast. We, we, we do this. This is what we do every day. It's our job. We know how to do this. Yeah, and if it's not right, then they'll, they'll, they'll have a cringe moment every time they hear it for the rest of their lives. So it's, it's worth going back and getting it right. Yeah. Exactly. And, and also to impress upon them that getting to their truth is going to help other people. And so it's important to get it right, not only for them, but for the people who are going to hear their song. And that really gets their attention because, of course, they're volunteers and they want to be of service. And once they get that their song can go out and be of service to other people, they really want to get it right. We'll hear more of the music Mary Gaucher co-wrote with veterans and veterans' families from her 2018 album Rifles and Rosary Beads when Peace Talks Radio continues after this break. Listening to Peace Talks Radio, the series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. I'm series producer Paul Ingalls. Our guest today, critically acclaimed singer songwriter Mary Gaucher, who's been among a handful of other songwriters who've been working with U.S. veterans and veteran family members to write songs about their experiences. The program called Storytelling with Soldiers has been going on for a while, but Mary took the extra step of making her 2018 album completely out of some of the songs that she's been creating with the vets. It's called Rifles and Rosary Beads. And here's another cut. This one's called Still on the Ride, which Mary co-wrote with Josh Gertz, who was crippled by an injury just a day before he was scheduled to ship back home from Iraq. He was most troubled by losing his best friend while over there. Listen closely to this, then Mary will tell us more in a moment. Looking back now Who the hell Dead soldier goes Guardian angels Maybe they're true My guardian angel Maybe it's you I shouldn't be here You shouldn't be gone But it's not up to me who dies and who carries on I sit in my room, I close my eyes Me and my guardian angel were still on the ride Got holes in my eardrum Bruises and clots Double vision 
Josh was uh, in a roadside bomb explosion on his last day in Iraq. Oh, and he was—he got traumatic brain injury from the from the explosion, and and he's disabled now. He's in a wheelchair. When Josh and I sat down, uh, his story has so many layers of trauma. I didn't even know where to begin. It was—he has layers on top of layers on top of layers of trauma. There's so much going on with him that I was overwhelmed, and it was just very difficult to know which one was preeminent. But when he was finally able to get down to this deep place of, like, like 
this happened, that happened, this happened, this happened, and then he reached this place where, and this happened, and I could tell that this was the one that hurt him the most. Um, and what he carried that hurt him even more than being disabled was the survivor guilt. Uh, that that his best friend died uh, in a vehicle crash, uh, and he was uh, supposed to be in that vehicle, but he got out um, because he he wanted his friend to be with his friend and his best friend's fiance. He wanted them to have that ride uh, as a newly engaged couple, and so he got out and said, "No, you guys go on." And yeah, uh, uh, the accident was catastrophic, and. Um, there's so much horror around it. I don't. I want to. I don't want to talk too much about the details because it'll make it'll make me. Uh, I, I can't do it without really getting yeah. too emotional. But well, let me let me ask you this, Mary, about it then, because the key line to me is it's not up to me who lives and who dies. And I'm curious. He said that. Okay, that was my question. I'm curious if that's a line that came from him, or did you, having observed his pain, suggest that that line? would be good for his own healing. Well, I, you know, like I said, I go into a trance, but I'm pretty sure he said that or something close to that. He um, he said, looking back now, who the hell knows? Because I asked him, well, why do you think you're here? Because he kept saying, I shouldn't be here and he shouldn't be gone. I shouldn't be here, he shouldn't be gone. And and I remember saying, why do you think you're here? He goes, looking back now, who the hell knows? So I just wrote that down, and that's the first line of the song. And then I said, well, who the hell knows where what? what? Who the hell knows where the soul of a dead soldier goes? And he goes, yeah. And we got down this track mm-hmm. of talking about guardian angels, and I asked him if he believed in guardian angels, and maybe that's why he's here. Because I'm convinced I have guardian angels. I know I should be dead given so many things that I did in my drug and alcohol years, um, I should be dead. And I have guardian angels, and I know it. And I'm thinking this young man in front of me has them too. And he goes, well, it's a good explanation as any. And that's what, what got us down the road with the song, that maybe his friend is, is guardian angel. Well, why not? I mean, and maybe it's not literal that, that, that that's occurring uh, literally, but as a metaphor and as some some kind of a, a belief to have faith in, it makes as good a sense as anything. And and so, uh, you know, we need our stories in a Joseph Campbell kind of way. Right. Uh, and so he was able to, to go there. Uh, and so we wrote a song about him and his guardian angel. And and uh, he, he, at the end of it, said it's, the first time he was able to experience hope since he had come home, that the song brought him to a place of hope. Um, a good song always juxtaposes conflicting feelings and uh, just lets them lay there. And I thought this song, Bullet Holes in the Sky, did that well. And you'll have to tell me who you wrote that with, but I wanted to, to read a couple of those lines too. They thank me for my service and wave their little flags genuflect on Sundays, and yes, they'd send us back again. But I believe in God and country and the angels up on high and in heaven shining down on us through bullet holes in the sky. It's the 11th of November down in Nashville, Tennessee. 
Free breakfast at the Waffle House If I show them my ID A parade up on the riverfront You can hear the trumpets play Hands on hearts, the color guard Kicks it off on Veterans Day And they thank me for my service And wave their little flags They genuflect on Sundays And yes, they'd send us back But I believe in God and country And in the angels up on high And in heaven Shining down on us through bullet holes in the sky. There's a lot of uncertainty in how to feel about all of it in those lyrics. Can you say a little bit more about that story? Yeah, I wrote that with um, a young man named Jamie Trent. He served in Desert Storm. He was in the Navy. Uh, and he uh, wanted to write about Veterans Day. Uh, and he wanted to write about the, the mixed feelings so many of our veterans have. And, uh, um, Veterans Day is an important day, um, but Jamie's not comfortable with it being an important day to push the military-industrial complex further into more conflicts. He, he, he has mixed feelings. It's called ambivalence. Sure. It's the stuff of life. It took me a decade of therapy to get there, to understand that it's not one thing or the other. Sometimes it can be both. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so uh, it's an emotionally mature song, and it operates on a very high level, and a lot of people don't understand it. Uh, it took me a fortune and a decade of therapy to be able to write it. Um, uh, the, the truth of that song is, is that the, the, the veteran um, is, is missing those that didn't come back. Uh, he's proud of his service. Um, he would do it again if called. Uh, and he's aware of the hypocrisy of a lot of the flag waving. Uh, but he doesn't want to mm -hmm. uh, call people out on it because they don't understand yet. He's gentle. The war has made him gentle. I've seen that over and over again, by the way. I've learned more about peace from soldiers than anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> 
We have more from Mary Gaucher about her 2018 album Rifles and Rosary Beads, which grew from her experience songwriting with soldiers, when Peace Talks Radio continues after this break. This is Peace Talks Radio. We're online at peacetalksradio.com, where you can hear scores of our programs from the series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution, dating all the way back to 2002. That's peacetalksradio.com, where you can hear this program again or share it with others. We've been visiting with Nashville singer-songwriter Mary Gaucher about her experience of writing songs with veterans in a program that pairs vets and their families with songwriters. They spend a weekend retreat together and write a song that helps the vets and families put a voice to their pain, their suffering, in a way that Mary says really offers some healing. Back to my conversation now with Mary Gaucher. So what are you and these program managers and the vets observing about the tangible benefits of programs like this for the vets who are participating and for the people of all political stripes who hear these songs? First of all, the vets who are involved in this, you see them wounded, they've been carrying wounds. Is this often a turning point in their healing and you can tell and they can attest to that? Yes, it is, and yes, they do. Um, The problem with trauma is that it isolates us. If you've been traumatized, you've been removed because trauma is ineffable. There's no words to express what happened and you're alone with it. A song can bridge that gap. A song uh, is able, melody can get to places where words can't reach. And so uh, a person dealing with trauma is is given uh, an opportunity to articulate in a new way. And I think that's one of the higher functions of, of art in general. You may not be able to say it, but you can paint it, or you can dance it, or you can turn it into a short story, fictionalize it, or you can turn it into a song or a play or or a movie or something other than directly accessing it. Metaphor is very important here. So transformation, songs songs are what feelings sound like. Songs go right to the gut. They're visceral. They don't require an education to understand. So, you know, a song uh, can, can be a very powerful uh, uh, transformative uh, piece of art and uh, the veterans time after time say that that they experience hope after their song was played back to them and I think you know you can extend this to the population at large that this thing that Darden and Mary uh, have created this this visionary program I think it would work for all different kind of traumas of course it would 
Hmm. That's pretty powerful. And uh, I, I want to make a special note that a couple or maybe more of these songs were co-written with women vets or spouses or referencing spouses. Uh, I'll bet that seemed a pretty important piece of this project as well. Oh, yeah. This, the record has half women's voices um, and the other half I wrote with men. Oh, it's half and half. Okay. Uh-huh. Half and half, and I did that on purpose. I think that's important. We'll say more about that. Our military has a whole lot of women in it now. Um, and two of the songs on the record are written with military spouses. Um, and through my work with military uh, uh, spouses, I understand deeply that when one person in a family serves, the whole family serves. Uh, and these women oftentimes are asked to carry uh, the weight of for, 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 for the family for years uh, on their own. And so um, the military spouses songs uh, get into what it's like to, to, to have to deal with, um, with this, with this uh, service that they're providing. They're, they're also in selfless service. Uh, one of the songs, uh, I think it's called uh, The War After the War, the, the spouse says, I'm a soldier too, just like you, serving something bigger than myself. Uh, and I think that's a fact. And any, any military spouse will tell you that. Yeah, the other one is Stronger Together. It says the military breaks their heart and we're there when they fall apart. They say no man's left behind, but that ain't true. They hate it that they need us, but they do. They lose their fingers, lose their limbs. We try to love them back together again. They say no man's left behind, but that ain't true. And they're hurting places that the eye can't see. We miss the man our husband used to be. The military breaks their heart. We're there when they fall apart. They're hurting places that the eye can't see. And we're stronger together. Good news back at home 
mission ready at their best. We take care of all the rest. EOD wives don't sit by the phone. And we're stronger. We're stronger. Together. We're together. together it sounds like there's a uh, sorority of uh, well I'm, and actually that's not even an accurate word because there are military husbands too I guess in this era um, who are waiting at home too in some cases yeah it's very complicated um uh, it, it's no longer the language is very uh, antiquated now we got to find new ways to describe our our service members uh, because there are a lot of military husbands now waiting for their spouse to come back. And there's a huge number of gay and lesbian soldiers. So uh, I worked with a bomb expert, um, EOD, Explosive Ordnance Disposal Expert, who's a young female, married to a female, and they have two babies. And she's a bomb expert. She goes in and dismantles bombs with some of the m- most... Uh, uh, at-risk of soldiers in the service or, or EOD, and there she goes, you know, this petite little uh, uh, gay woman who is uh, fierce uh, and brave, and, and you know, she's got a, a family at home. And, um, and so the language is, you know, since I've been doing this over the last five years, I've noticed actually a change in the way that the veterans refer to each other. Now they're, they're, they're more and more and more talking about my brothers and sisters. Uh, and so uh, it's, it's evolving. Uh, it always evolves. Um, it evolved with integration. It's now evolving uh, with, um, with the, the reality of the number of females. And, you know, females went into combat officially in 2005. So uh, they, they, they catch up. It just takes some time. Mary Gaucher, just a couple more questions. I really appreciate your time. Uh, One is that you, A, didn't have to write as many songs as you did with the vets. Um, It seems like you've been very devoted to it. And B, you didn't have to devote your whole album to this project. Uh, When and how did it become clear that you had to? Yeah, it was a process more than an event. Um, I've been writing these songs uh, at these retreats, like I said, for five years, and they started to pile up. I've got uh, over 40 that I've written. My. So this record has 10 or 11 songs, so there's a whole bunch more sitting at home that I've co-written. And every now and then I'd sit back and listen, and I'd realize, these are good songs. These, these are important stories, and maybe I should put a record out of this stuff. And then the idea would go away, and I'd just keep going. And I just no, didn't know if I should be the person to do it. And somewhere along the way, I started talking to the founder and asked him, what do you think if I, I did this? What if what if I put a record of this out? He goes, do it. I think it would help all of us. And he encouraged me. 
And so, um, you know, about a year and a half ago, I brought in a, a producer and, and a band, and we cut it and, and listened to it, and it just sounded great. And so I said, let's do it. Let's do it. And so it came out, you know, late January, and I'm on the road playing these songs around the world, and the press is phenomenal. People, people really care about these stories because they haven't been told before. And then just stepping away from the songwriting project a little bit, uh, and here's my last question, is that you said in an article and kind of referred to it earlier that we're in an empathy deficit right now in our world. So what can those listening to this story do in their daily lives, whether they're, they're not necessarily going to sit down and write a song with somebody, but they're going to deal with a difficult situation at work or with their spouse or trying to understand their brother-in-law that has a different point of view. What did, have you learned through this deep dive into this territory that you could share uh, with the public at large? <laughs> well, the answer is never simple to that, but um, I always suggest do something that involves the arts. Go read. I'm reading all the books Steinbeck wrote that I never got to. I was at the Steinbeck Center. I was touring West Coast uh, two weeks ago. And I just grabbed a whole bunch of books that I hadn't read of his. I, of course, read Grapes of Wrath and and a couple of others, but there's others I didn't get to. And there's one I'm reading now called uh, well, something. It's called Travels with Charlie. His he mm -hmm. got in a truck, a tricked out truck that he he kind of lived in, and he put his poodle in the car with him. Uh, and they went to see America because he felt after he got famous that he had lost touch with America. And he kept a journal of his travels. I'm loving this. Um, his perceptions of the South in the early 60s, um, uh, coinciding, reading that with Dr. King's birthday, it just lit me up like a Christmas tree. Um, you know, w we spend a lot of time in mediums that don't generate empathy, social media, in particular, uh, go to a play, go to a troubadours show that you've never listened to before, and go listen to someone just play a simple instrument and tell stories. Go, go read some books that are on the list of classics that you haven't had a chance to read. Um, this is where we find our empathy. It's through stories, and it, it, we find ourselves there too. And that's that's part of the the great joy of reading. Uh, and music and art. Go to a museum. I was at the uh, the Frist Museum yesterday because they have an exhibit, a civil rights exhibit uh, uh, that they unveiled uh, uh, this week on pictures that the Tennessean took from 57 to 68. Nashville was at the epicenter of the civil rights movement. These pictures are profoundly moving. You know, know your museum in town. Go see stuff. I think that's where we we find each other again. This is in, it's in the arts and, and, and through story. That's interesting. Somebody said once, um, and I think they were actually talking about relying too much on your own iPod and music collection. They said it's like a gated community if you don't go out and listen to other music. And I, as you were describing that, I was thinking that, you know, we kind of live in a gated community. We make preconceived notions about what's for us and what we like. It sounds like you're challenging us to open that door back up and walk out once in a while and try something that uh, might not feel like it's made for us and find out all along that it's made especially for us. 
Yeah, you never know. I mean, I'm willing to try. Um, yeah. I, uh, I just like good stories. I like, I like great, I like great pictures. I like, I like interesting uh, uh, turns of phrases, and I, I want to be around people who spend their life trying to do that well. It, it's not easy. Right. Well, Mary Gaucher, thank you so much again for uh, your efforts and your heart and your songs. And we'll look forward to hearing more from you, as you said, and until you, you can't do it no more. <laughs> I keep going till <laughs> I'm done. Thank you, Paul. Here's part of another track from Mary's 2018 release, Rifles and Rosary Beads, songs all written with veterans and their families. This one's called The War After the War. Who's going to care for the ones who care for the ones who went to war? There's landmines in the living room and eggshells on the floor. I lost myself in the shadow of your honor and your pain. You stare out of the window as our dreams go down the drain. You can find out more about Mary Gaucher's music and the Songwriting with Soldiers program. We've posted links to both and more at our website, peacetalksradio.com, where you can go to hear the whole interview with Mary. And you'll find other resources there, too, at peacetalksradio.com. Just look for our July 2018 episode. That's also where you go to hear all the programs in our series. You'll find transcripts, photos, downloadable show links to every program we've done dating back to 2002, all at peacetalksradio.com. It's also where you can go to make a donation that helps keep our project going. We do it with your help and with the help of other partners, businesses like a Spinal Health and Movement Center and Ruben Ramirez, located in Albuquerque's Knob Hill neighborhood, also KUNM at the University of New Mexico. Nola Daves-Moses is our executive director. Allie Adelman composed and performs our theme music. I'm Paul Ingalls. Thanks for listening to and for supporting Peace Talks Radio. I'm stronger than you think I am. I'm right here by your side. I am not your enemy. I don't want to fight. There's no 